Today's episode is sponsored by Tranual. I'll interrupt this episode a little later to tell you more about them. I used to try to always think I had to impress people. And I always used to think I had to serve people or like if I didn't serve them, they wouldn't love me. And because I got really grounded through, I feel like that book, when they told me who I am and I was like, wow, yeah, I am that person because I really was. I felt like a lot more confident and then I could start to figure out how to operate in my world with my strengths and then put people around me that had, that were strong with some of my weaknesses, right? So like the people that I've surrounded myself with on my leadership team, they support me in the things that I'm not the best at. And then we all have each other's back. That's Benny Fisher, founder and visionary of the Big Fish Contracting Company. He's also an experienced speaker and hosts his own podcast, The Big Fish Cares Podcast. This guy is so electrifying, beautiful really, that I actually thought I was going to explode within the first two minutes of talking with him. If it wasn't for his grounding introspection and humility to keep our conversation just rooted, I think we would have spun ourselves up and out of control. I grew up in the Midwest in Canton, Ohio. My parents got divorced when I was five. My parents both got remarried when I was seven. Diagnosed with ADHD when I was seven. That was I was like one of the first people I feel like. It was like 1988 when I got that diagnosis and nobody knew what to do with it. It was like such a bad term. And didn't take medication because my mom was scared that I shouldn't be medicated. The teachers probably wish I should have been medicated. And my mom probably wishes I was medicated too because I, I experienced a lot of pain. I had all these amazing ideas and I saw the world is so beautiful and nobody, everybody just told me kind of like, shut up, kid, you don't, your ideas don't matter. Why can't you listen? Why can't you sit still type of thing? And I just wanted to like show people a different way, right? And so I was very talkative, very chatty, sometimes too chatty probably, and so like while a lot of people love me, they also sometimes got frustrated with me. And uh, the teachers didn't know what to do with me. My parents didn't know what to do with me. And they talked about this thing called college. And I was like, in my family, like that would have been a big deal. I would have been the first person to like go to college, graduate from college. But I felt a lot of pressure to go to school. Plus all my other friends were doing it. And so I signed up for college and I went for two weeks and I couldn't take it. It was just another form of high school, in my opinion. And I had to pay for it myself. I was like, this is no good. I saw a Applicate. I saw a newspaper ad for you can make a hundred thousand dollars a year being in car sales, and so I saw like, oh man, I can be somebody. I can make more money than my parents. So I signed up for this car dealership job, and uh, the first month I was in car sales, I was eighteen years old, and I made six thousand dollars in one month. And I came home and I told my mom, I said, "See, look, I don't need any of this stuff. I got a real job." And she's like, "That's not a real job. That's commission." She's like, you need to go get like a nine to five and have a steady paycheck. And I, and I was like, well, I'll show you. And, and so for the next three or four months, I did pretty good. But then what happened is I made so much money, I started to get bored. And like that didn't really do good for my career at car sales because then I started to take a dip, right? Because I was 18, very, very immature. Um, and then I had a lot of ideas for these 40-year-old, 50-year-old managers that I had. And then, and then they didn't want to hear it. So I got fired from every car job I ever had. And I would go from, I'd go from dealership to dealership to dealership. I'd always get a job and then I'd always get fired because I'd do really good and then I would do really bad because I couldn't stay consistent with the work because I would get bored. Welcome to We Run on EOS. I'm your host, Pam Kosenke. I hope you're ready for an exceptionally real and raw entrepreneurial story. Benny's life is one full of heartbreaking twists and turns, a cat with more than nine lives, and a mad scientist level of success that leaves you aching for more. 
We could have spoken for days. And I know he could have filled an entire season's worth of episodes in one sitting. I went bankrupt in my 20s. I mean, if like, I feel like every bad thing ever possible that could happen to me in my 20s happened to me in my 20s. Well, luckily, my uncle, who was about 20 years older than me, had been in the roofing industry his whole life. And he was over in Pittsburgh and he said, hey, I'm starting my own commercial roofing company. Will you come over, move over to Pittsburgh and help me with sales and marketing? Because, you know, I was at a low point. He could get me cheap, right? And I said, sure, I'm down for anything, anything to get me out of my current situation. And it was a nice fresh start at life too. And it was a bigger city. And I thought, well, this is going to be cool, man. I'm going to have like something where I could be proud of. And so I went to work for him for five years. And he was old school though. He didn't want to use too much technology in his business. I would sell so many roof jobs that he would tell me to stop in September because they couldn't <laughs> get them all done. He didn't have EOS. And he also wasn't interested. He was like, hey, I'm going to keep it small and like keep it all. I don't want to grow. And like, do. And I said, well, what about me? Like I ended up getting married. I had a kid. And then I started helping people from the Chamber of Commerce that I had met with their Facebook pages. And because Facebook was just popping off in like 2011, 12, 13, and I was really like into Facebook. Remember, I went to Pittsburgh, didn't know one single human except for my uncle. And so I needed to make connections. So that friend request button was really cool. So I started helping all these businesses with their Facebook page and they would pay me a little bit of money every month to kind of help them. And so I had some side money I was building up. And, and then eventually my uncle said, hey, I think you should go sell roofs for someone else. He said, because you have too many ideas, you're going too fast. So he fired me. Your He's, uncle fired my you. My uncle wow. fired me, yeah. So, so you've been whole, fired from everything in your every, life. Everything. People have rejected yeah. me my whole life, okay? There is only one way to go from here, right? Yeah, yeah there's only one way to go. So, so I said, well, I can take everything I've learned about sales my whole life. I can take everything I've learned about roofing over the last five years. And this new marketing thing, like I really think, because I started listening to a guy named Gary Vee. And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take everything I learned about marketing, roofing, and sales. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to birth a baby called Big Fish Contracting <laughs> Company. Yes. We call it Big Fish because my last name is Fisher and I'm not a small guy. But people thought go. I was crazy. They were like, oh, because, you know, we're in Three Rivers. Or people thought I was going to sell fish sandwiches. I was going to rent a, like boats. I'm like, no, when we become the best roof, residential roofing company, like people will know who Big Fish is. The Big Fish name will be synonymous with roofing and gutters and exterior home improvement projects. And everybody kind of laughed at me. So I just had to go work by myself and just keep selling jobs. I found a crew early on. And for the first, in the first year, I did 1.3 million in revenue by myself. I did all the oh sales. Gosh. I did all the marketing. I did the QuickBooks and I managed the projects. And, and then I had this awesome crew that would help me get all the jobs. And they were the ones swinging the hammers and making everything, all the magic happen. And so I decided after that first year, because I thought I was rich. That was the first time I ever made over $100,000 in one year. And I like made $300,000. And how old, were, how old were you at that point? I was 30, 32, 33, probably. There's wild success. And then there's spinning out of control wild success. Drowning from too much of your own creation. Swimming in opportunity without the swim lanes or even coming up for air. And there's really only one way that story can end. And I was working a lot. I mean, I'm not going to kid you. There was a lot. Like, I didn't see my wife or my kid. I was working 100 hours a week. I was in survival mode because I like, I have to go. I have to be successful because I'm trying to own a roofing company. And no one was doing things with customer service, technology. Like, nobody was building a contracting company like that. It was all kind of chucking the trucks. Yeah. Guys that would write estimates on napkins. That's who yeah. I was competing with. But it was a lot of hard work because I wanted to be super successful. So then I decided to have the smart idea. I'm going to hire three people. I'm going to hire someone to take care of all the accounting and the office work. I'm going to hire someone to help me with some sales calls. And I'm going to hire a project manager to kind of babysit the projects and work with the crews. 
So three people to do what I did. And if we can like double it, like I'll be making even more money. Well, after that second year, I realized that wasn't the case because the account comes back and said, it's like, you did double the revenue. I did 2.3 or 2.4 million that second year, but I made actually less money than I did the first year. And I was like, how does that happen? <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> You're no, like, I didn't, I didn't graduate from college, but there's a math yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah, it was a math problem. <laughs> like I, I knew like simple math, right? And he's like, things must not just be getting managed right. And I'm like, well, that makes sense because I've never managed another human being ever in my entire life. So I was like, all right, we're going to do meetings and we're going to do this. And we're going to do like, I never read a book before. Like I never did anything. And that <laughs> lasted for like three months and everybody looked at me like I was crazy. And then we all just went back to doing the same thing. And I built that up to about, eight or nine people. And I kept just living in like a lot of pain. I actually ended up self-medicating myself because like I couldn't keep up my family life. I couldn't keep up this business facade. And I was like destroying my life inside. I actually ended up overdosing on fentanyl, believe it or not. So after that whole experience, when I thought I was dead, I like basically ruined my life for like the second time again. I was like, I got to figure out what's wrong with me. And so I hired, I got a therapist because obviously yeah. something was wrong with me. And then I also hired a business consultant. Well, the business consultant helped me because he told me to raise my prices. I was selling at 25% yeah. gross profit <laughs> margins. And I never raised my prices when I hired all these people. That was like the easiest thing I ever did. And then more money started coming in. I started trying to get my life back to like reorganize to kind of figure out like what was wrong with me. And I went to a business networking meeting and because I started to be surrounded like local business people, like 50 guys in their fifties and sixties. And that's when one of these people said, Hey, you should hire somebody to like help you manage your business. Like somebody that's good with spreadsheets and accounting and like operations. I was like, cool. Like, where do I get them? We found a guy and I tried that for a year or two. And then COVID happened. And I was realizing like this guy was, I had more money than ever before. Like the books were perfect. Like the company was doing good, but the culture is starting to go down. And like, and I never even wanted to go to the office anymore. And I was like, like this guy was not very- <laughs> You didn't even like your own culture. Yeah, you no, didn't this even guy like was not very fun to work with. And I'm like, what, <laughs> like, what's going on here? But I needed him because like we had more money, right? And things oh, wow. like on the books were like, you know, we're doing good. So I, I was in this conundrum and then I was in another business group that I joined. It was more of a national group and it was just for roofers. And there's always like a, this hour event session where everybody just kind of vents out the problems. And when you know it, and it's a recorded session, I, and, and some guy that never was on the call live heard my problem. I was like, Hey, I was telling about this culture problem I have with my COO. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I've never done this before. How do I get this thing back on track? And he's like, you need to read the book rocket fuel. And his name, was, ah. his name was Jim Bush. He's a, he's a roofing contractor out of Southern Michigan. And I thought, I was like, you're a weird guy for like watching the video a day later. Like who watches the video? <laughs> later? And then emails one of the guys to actually help him. I'm like, if you're going to do all that, I got to read this book. What clicked for you? So you're reading Rocket Fuel and oh, suddenly what, what happens? Clicked. Everything clicked. <laughs> Every single thing clicked in my you world. You figured out who you were. Yes. You're a visionary. I identified as this visionary guy. And I felt so, for the first time in my life, I felt like the book was speaking to me and I knew it was this Gina Wickman guy that wrote the book <laughs> with Mark Seabreakers. And I was just like, man, like, how do they know who I am? How do they know I'm that guy? And then like, who's this other guy called the integrator? Like, what's the, I want to know more about that. Like, and then I got so excited the next Monday, that was on a Saturday. Monday, I go back to the guy that's running my company. I said, you got to read this book. I said, that's what me and you got to be like. You're the integrator. I'm the visionary. Let's go. Well, he still was kind of curmudgeon -y. He was an MBA, super smart guy. I could tell he wasn't really buying in. 
So Jim referred me to a guy that could be my implementer. I signed up with an implementer right away. I said, dude, if you're going to be part of this company, we're going to do this EOS thing together or we're not going to have a company and I'm going to go do something else. The power of permission to be who you are, to fully embrace your identity and the gifts you offer this world can't be overstated, personally or professionally, of course. For Benny, claiming his power as the dreamy visionary he had read about in Rocket Fuel helped him get crystal clear on his strengths, limitations, and the number two he needed by his side without apology. And so like all visionaries do, hyper-focused on something, right? Like I, I saw this new shiny object called EOS and I just went all in. And I hired the implementer. We got through vision, like focus day one, vision building day one and two with this guy. But my, my implementer was like, man, he's not really like gelling in these, these quarterly, these like all day sessions. Like he's not, you can just tell, like, it's not clicking. I feel he's resistant. He's resistant. He's very resistant. I'm like, all right, we got to make a change. So I had to fire him. So I fired him, but I, now I didn't have anybody and I was scared to death. So I hired a fractional integrator and back in 2021, early January of 2021, I looked on LinkedIn for the word integrator. There was three people that popped up. There was nobody out there. Like I couldn't believe it. And I was like, so I, I found one of them and he said he'd do it fractionally for me. David Smith, awesome guy, by the way. And so he started to come in as a fractional integrator. He ran my meetings. He helped the good people at my company kind of like keep, keep it together. We patched it together. We went on an integrator search. I ended up finding somebody that really worked out well. He was a CFO at a $55 million mechanical contracting company. Wow. He took a little bit of a pay cut, but then he also wrote me a check because like he wanted equity because he's like, I'm not giving up my nice cushy job. I said, you can have whatever you want. You make me a deal. I'll sign it. He bought 25% of my company. He's my integrator. He's also a co-owner. We just got done with two years. We went from 10 employees. We're at 30 employees. We went from 4 million in revenue. We'll do 10 million in revenue. And now, and guess what? Me? Like, I don't, don't tell anybody. That's the people that are listening aren't really probably employees. Like, I don't, I only work four to six hours a week in my business, like in Big Fish Contracting. Now I do a podcast. I do coaching and consulting for other roofing entrepreneurs on how to build a brand. I just had a baby with my new Congratulations. wife. I ended up getting a divorce during COVID. I ended up transforming my life, my personal life all around. Did lots of therapy, did all that life transformational stuff, Tony Robbins stuff, stuff that Ben Hardy talks about. Oh yeah. So I did all that because I had more time. I could start working on myself. I could start fixing what was wrong with Ben. Transformation of any kind can be a thrilling ride, especially the 10X kind where you're shooting for the moon and you actually hit the stars. But it's never a straight shot especially without the right people on the rocket ship right beside you. And getting there means taking off the rose-colored glasses and facing some hard truths. The first thing that I didn't expect, there was a lot of people that had been with me for a couple years, right? I call them doers. Like, we're all doers, right? We're all blue-collar, Pittsburghers. Like, we're all work, work workers. They're good people, right? But when I started learning, like, about this accountability and about systems and process, I started realizing some people... Like they just didn't really want to conform. Right. And I wanted to hang on to them because I loved them. They helped me get to where I was at and I had to fire some people. And that was really hard because then the new integrator was like, Hey man, this person's not cutting it. They're not doing this. I'm like, yeah, but they helped me do this. They helped me do this. I wouldn't be here without that person. And so that was the hardest thing when you're, when you're a young CEO and like you founded the company and then you have to like figure out like, cause just a year or two ago, like we were just yep. all in it together. When I started EOS, it was me. It was the guy that we ended up firing. And it was this other girl. And since then, my leadership change, team has changed a couple of different times. Um, I went through that first six months, basically, and got all new people. There's still a few people from my company that that are still been here for four years, which I'm really proud of. You know, they're, they're really great middle managers. 
The other thing that was hard is hiring all this, I call overhead, right? Like the integrator, he wasn't actually doing sales or project management. Like he was just managing the company. And I kind of was used to like my little salary. There was a lot of overhead. So there wasn't much profit left. You know, you're paying the EOS implementer and then you're hiring more people because you're starting to like get this thing moving. And I just thought it was going to be a little easier. Like I read the book. I was so excited. I thought it was like, oh yeah, all roses and rainbows. Like all my problems are solved. I was already there. Like I was already 10 years into the future after I read the book. But then I was like, all right, I got to be patient through this like growth, like where I'm investing in people. And because like the sales would trickle up, but the people and then training and onboarding, you don't realize the cost that's associated with them. So when you think like, oh man, I'm doing 10 million a year, like I'm not that profitable right now, but what I am is I'm profitable in people and I'm profitable in systems and I'm profitable in training and I'm profitable because I have now people that have been here over two years and three years and four years. And I have a really great culture and continuity. We have over 655 star reviews. Like we are a very healthy company and we're just getting ready. And there's a big problem in the roofing industry, maybe a lot of other industries with leadership and management. There's usually a good owner or like a high powered like person like that. And then there's a lot of doers, but there's, there's no people to like integrating the doers, right. To help the doers be more efficient. That costs money. And so then you got to do more sales and revenue to kind of break through that like hump. So we're just getting there. I'm really excited about that, but I didn't realize how patient I was gonna have to be on the inside while on the outside I'm going, yeah, let's go. But on the inside, I'm like, all right, cool. Like, should I go sell something right now? What do I gotta do? (laughs) They're like, no, just, just stay in your lane. You know, I feel for visionaries who are told to stay in their lane. It's like uh, caging a wild animal who's just ready for play. Harnessing visionary energy for both the individual and the leadership team is exhausting work at times. And even harder when they put themselves in their own cage of optimism and positivity and run from conflict. It's the conversation, how to like have yeah. that conversation. So I'm a big Gary Vee guy. He just, he wrote a book called 12 and a half and it's about having these emotional ingredients, right? And his half ingredient that he struggles with was kind candor, how to give people good, honest feedback. I think in the book, how to be a great boss, that's a great book to be able to have, to learn how to have these conversations, but I'm a terrible manager. Hence why I don't do any management. I don't do any firing. Like I don't like not anymore. Right. Unless it's a person that came in before the integrator, I'll sit in with the integrator to help him because I want to make sure people leave with like a little bit of positivity. But yeah, it's all about how those candid conversations. And, and if you have more regular, consistent quarterly conversations, that really avoids a lot of the traumatics of that. And the first- Yeah, no one's surprised. In the no first year, it was like a yeah. train wreck though. I was, <laughs> there, there was like cars crashing. There's nothing worse than your processes and training content scattered around a bunch of Google Docs or worse, stuck in people's heads. The good news is there's a platform called Trainual that makes it easy to document everything about your business finally get your SOPs and policies organized, shave tons of time off onboarding and training, and get your process component nailed down. It's the integrator's dream. So whether you're growing or trying to scale with consistency or tightening up and needing more ROI from your team's time, Trainual is the answer. Right now, podcast listeners can get 15% off their first year. Visit Trainual.com and enter EOS promo code EOS15. That's T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L.com with promo code EOS15 when you pick your plan. It was cars crashing to have those quarterly conversations. Yeah, well, it was just, yeah. Why? Tell tell us why. I didn't know how to do them that well. I didn't know how to do them because I'm like Mr. Optimistic and happy and... 
So you weren't saying the thing. You were kind of painting a bunch of what? Yeah, uh, I wasn't doing sales a, I, language around it. Yeah, I probably wasn't doing a good job at it. And they also didn't understand. You got to remember, it was a shock from going to like not being managed to being managed. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes the integrator can get the rap as the bad guy and the visionary can be like the good guy. And like, I felt that a little bit, but like, I know I need Rob, like Rob, and he's awesome. And he's great for the culture. It just took a year of transition. When it goes that fast, you go from zero to 4 million in three or four years is no small feat. So if you have a smaller business with less people, it's not gonna be as painful. But like, I had like 10 or 12 humans and I had a lot of, there was a lot of things that was built up fast. So then they had to get torn down fast to fix it fast. So the honest truth is that first session with him, the focus day with him and his team was really utter chaos. It was just so much energy in the room, everybody talking at the same time. I just called a little bit of disrespect for one another's opinions. And so, I mean, there was enough ego in the room to fill a dumpster. And the reality is that once we start cutting through that and people started to settle down. I mean, that took a couple of hours in that space to just get to the starting point. But yet, it was still a lot of fun to be there. It was it was really energetic and it was settled down and then I could get in there and start doing some teaching, a little coaching, and then it would all start back up again. But it was a great day. That insight comes from Ken Kusita, Benny's EOS implementer. Let's just call him a magical Benny Wrangler, if you will. Someone who could stick through those dumpster fires of ego and help everyone in that room unlock all the hardworking care and love they have to get to the next level. So I think he already had that mindset. He was always somebody who I would say is just truly cared about other people. That's He's a very generous person with his time, with, with everything he has available to him. He's always willing to share to help others. So just coming from that space originally, just set him in a position that I had something there where he lined up with my core values, so to speak. So I thought he was a good fit for me. And so I just enjoyed speaking with him, enjoyed talking with him. But his he truly evolved in his knowledge of just the leadership team, EOS, for example. When he learned about EOS, he just dove in and just learned every piece and part of it that he could possibly absorb that and rocket fuel. He talks a lot about rocket fuel because it just was such a meaningful part of his life and what has helped him change his company. But he just evolved. He just kept learning and learning and learning. He stuck with it. And that's what he was willing to do the work. Let me just put it that way. When I find clients that are pretending, so to speak, to run on EOS, where there's people who actually run on EOS, really want the difference is they do the work and he was willing to do the work. I, I love that. You can tell that that's his whole life. He's, he's going to grind it out. It might have taken an alternative path, but he was a hard worker from the very get-go and at the core, yeah. earning what he got, what he achieved. Absolutely. Benny, certainly, because of his care and love for people, letting wrong people, wrong seat type of situations, ch- making those hard changes and letting people go, it sounds like it was extremely difficult for him, but yet... It was, of course, the thing that we know to help set people free and catapult them to the next level. How did he work through those challenges? Yeah, so that's a great question because just after the first couple of sessions with with Ben and his team, I received a call one evening and he told me, hey, Ken, I think I got a problem. And so it was definitely a people problem. And so we talked through that and we came to the conclusion, he came to the conclusion that he had to let somebody go. And that somebody was 
basically his integrator, which was the most important person that he had to just help him create that balance in his company. And so he was really frustrated with that, but he realized it, that he needed to make a change there. But quite honestly, he just couldn't. He could not get there on his own to make that change, to actually come to grips with, I have to let this person go because even as much as he didn't 100% line up with that person's core values or he knew it wasn't just, it just wasn't the right fit, his true love for people, he could not get himself to that space. So the two of us worked together to just get through it. That took a minute. And we worked back and forth over a couple of days, a couple of Word documents passed back and forth as to what does this going to look like? What should we say? How do we do the process? You know, all those things. But we finally, he finally got to the point where he was able to have the conversation and he let that person go. And it was, I believe that was a turning point for him. It was just doing it that one time and then realizing that Monday morning, the sun's going to shine. And he just got to that space and, and just felt that total sense of relief, but also realized that he got to a space of clarity and he, he was just able to get there and just really strengthened what he's done from there till now. Wow. Such a powerful experience that someone who's, it's almost like the biggest fear of facing it getting clarity through it and realizing that there's freedom on both sides for both humans that way. Exactly. Right. And so was there some moment in during the process that a light bulb went on for him where he could actually face that thing? You were intellectualizing the decision, but getting your head and your heart to catch up with one another is a different deal. Was there something that he finally, you said, he said, there was an aha moment that said, Okay, I've got it. So the one thing, and I think this is true for everybody. I mean, most all of us do not like firing someone. If you do like firing somebody, there may be another issue. That's a different problem. problem. (laughs) Realizing that we all struggle with that space and just understanding that if, if there's a person that's working with you or in your company that just is not a good fit, it's not a good fit for you. It's not a good fit for the company, but also it's not a good fit for them. And so the, the, the kindest thing to do is to let them go, free them from the space they're in, because if they're not cut out for this space, if they're just not a right fit, then the best thing you can do for them is to let them go, free them to move to someone else, to, a, to another place. And that's, I think, thinking through it that way, that it's actually the kindest thing to do was what helped him move forward. Sticking out wrong fits on either side never makes them right fits, ever. It's liberating for everyone to realize just how much kinder it is to let someone go than it is to force them to stay. The exhale on the other side is always palpable and free. And once we feel the weight of that people-pleasing burden slip away, it opens us up to be more of who we are and go after even more of what we want. I'm the same person I just now know who I am and I'm not swayed by other people's opinions or I'm not trying to, I used to try to always think I had to impress people. And I always used to think I had to serve people or like if I didn't serve them, they wouldn't love me. And because I got really grounded through, I feel like that book, Rocket, when they told me who I am and I was like, wow, yeah, I am that person because I really was. 
I felt like a lot more confident. And then I could start to figure out how to operate in my world with my strengths and then put people around me that had, that were strong with some of my weaknesses. So like the people that I've surrounded myself with on my leadership team, even my new wife, like they support me in the things that I'm not the best at. And then we all have each other's back because I do the things that they're not the best at. Usually like that, that includes like talking in front of like big audiences and like making things happen sometimes and starting something out of nothing and all the crazy ideas. They, they love those. And then they take those and they execute on them, right? And I think that helped. I have a strong faith in God. I've always been close with God, but sometimes during the, the troubled times in my life, I would get away because I would let the world kind of like suck me into the vortex. And I realized that I just need to create some space for myself to work on me because I was always going, 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 right? Like on that hamster wheel, that rat race of life. And I realized if I don't take some time for me time and stop worrying about everybody else all the time, like that's how I get myself balanced. So I take these clarity breaks. Like when they, when I read about clarity breaks, I was like, whoever wrote this stuff, man, like, this is like so cool. I wish I would have found this when I was 20, but I probably wouldn't have understood it. I, I remember reading traction or trying to read traction two years before rocket fuel. Cause someone, one of my smart business buddies was like, Oh, you need to read the book traction. I'm like, like that's a thick book. And I got like a quarter of the way through it. I'm like, dude, how does this apply to me? This doesn't apply to me. It was rocket fuel that really like got me excited about traction. And then I like hyper-focused on everything that was in traction. But back to me, I'm in therapy. I started doing relationship counseling when I, when I met my new wife right off the bat instead of waiting until something bad happened. So that way we can learn how to communicate better. And basically all therapy is, is just ways to learn about yourself more and how to communicate with others. But my implementer is also a mentor of mine. I look, look, kind of look up to him. Anytime I have a question, like I just call him because he's like got that old man advice. And he understands what I'm doing. It's, it's really important to like surround yourself with people who are doing what you want to do, have been where you were at, can give you good, solid advice. I used to take advice from just about anybody that would like give me advice. And that was bad. So I would <laughs> tell people like you need to really pick and choose like who your friends are. When you change those circles, you can definitely transform your life with that. You know, it almost feels like, Benny, as you opened up with some of the challenges around your diagnosis with ADHD, with your sense of that you had all these ideas, people said, hey, sh shut up, kids, stay in your court, let's stay in your lane, you're not, you're off to the wrong, you know, come back into the fold kind of thing. And it's suddenly now that this world, this, the who you are, fits this visionary profile in a way that gets celebrated. Is that, was there just this moment of joy of the juxtaposition between kind of childhood of who, how people related to you and what they told you then is so opposite of this like celebration of that, of who you are now. Absolutely. Yeah, that is, yeah, because when you're that confident, when you're confident in who you are, and I did start, I did the Colby Index, I did Strength Finders, <laughs> Disc, I went on this crazy like personality assessment thing where I've done every single personality assessment and they all started checking out. And I was like, wow, this is who I am. And then I just started operating from that place and people just like, I don't know, it's just the universe just started changing. Operating from who you are. That's, that's golden advice. Yeah. Amazing. And then the other thing I learned through EOS was this thing called open and honest and, and vulnerability-based trust through Patrick Lencioni. Yep. And I hyper-focused on that whole five dysfunctions of a team. And I learned so much through that book about going first and leading with authenticity and being vulnerable that I just started doing it. It sounds like one of your tenets of your business is about customer service. Mm. Tell me about what that means for your business and why do you hang everything on that as a, as kind of a lens? Well, because at the end of the day, 
when you can make people feel special, regardless of any situation that's happening, and it's a scarce resource today in today's age where everybody's worried about themselves all the time and everybody's worried about what they can get and how much money they can make. And when you can just do that old fashioned customer service and just pour into people and do a really great job, even if you make a mistake, they're going to be a lot more forgiving. They're going to let you correct that mistake if you can lead with a servant's heart. And one of our core values is serve others. One's be enthusiastic. That's the other thing, core values, man. Serve others, be enthusiastic, exceed expectations, do the right thing. And now we just added a fifth core value. It's like adding an Ooh. amendment to the constitution. It's yes, really, it is. really hard. Promote health and wellness. Ah. So we have five core values. Living and breathing it. Yeah. And we hire people around them. We fire people around them. We are, we've got people in the industry that have come to my office and like experienced a quarterly session, a quarterly meeting with our whole team, because after our quarterly leadership team, like we'll do like a, a quarterly kind of kickoff state of the union kind of thing, do some icebreakers, do some team building. And like, people are like, wow, how does your culture like this? I said, well, first of all, I said, I got fired from every job I ever had and all the culture sucks. So I want to create a really freaking awesome culture. <laughs> and this EOS stuff, it's easier to have a great culture when you're applauding people for like when they do a good job on the core values and you just tie everything back to that core value. It's so easy. I only have five. I got to remember. Oh, you did that. Oh, great job serving others. Oh, you were like awesome today and you were enthusiastic. Oh, great job for being enthusiastic. Oh, you have a grumpy face coming in the office today. You're not being very enthusiastic today, sir. And then they <laughs> smile and then they smile just like that, Pam, just like you just did. And guess yeah. what? It changes everything. Okay. This next moment with Benny is just pure gold. So listen up. And I literally can't stop seeing spaghetti turn into waffle-shaped beams of light at the end of my clarity breaks now. Thank you, Benny. Slow down to speed up. Tell me more. Take a breath. Clarity breaks. And listen, as much as I fought, when my, when my girlfriend took me to my first yoga class, I fought it the whole time. I only did it because I liked her and I wanted her to like me. And I went to this yoga class and I was like, this isn't for me. I'm some tough guy, right? Like, you know, tough, tough, macho man guys. Like, we don't do yoga. And I, I couldn't even do it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't even like. And then I got still. And then we did a meditation and I was like, that was the best I've ever felt in my entire life. I was wow. like, this is really cool. I was like, wow. And so meditation's really been a game changer for me. What does meditation give you that, that feels like something that... Clarity. It just it settles all that energy that, that most of us visionary entrepreneurs have. And you just, you get really calm and everything's kind of going crazy up here. And then what happens is it's like things come down and then they start to separate. You can start seeing things separately. You're still all there. You still see all your, your ideas and your goals and stuff like that. But they start to have like... They start the to compartments. Like, they separate from each other. Instead of being like spaghetti, it's almost like a waffle. <laughs> and, and, then, and then it's like a waffle that has like beaming lights coming up through the squares, like they're like okay. towers. And you have to create that space for yourself because if you don't slow down and create space and kind of just, first of all, you got to enjoy gratitude and being present. Like I was never present before, like before COVID, I didn't even know what, what that word meant. Like I didn't even know how to set my phone down. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. Like I didn't know how to slow down. And then I met the woman in my dreams and like, she's into this yoga and meditation and she's really diligent about it, but like, she's really into like, just being present. And I'm like, wow, I love it so much. And because I'm more present, I'm able to work on my past more. I'm able to see a better future. And like, it's just, everything's happening for me. Slowing down to speed up, <laughs> novel concept, huh? And yet it takes hard work and discipline and focus to realize just how important it is to rest. 
and model the values and principles we know work best even when we feel the need to just chaotically charge through brick walls. Because they freed me up to do all the studying and all the yeah, going diving yeah. deep, I'm able to come out and be like, oh yeah, you know us. Well, I realized that they haven't had that capacity because they are not freeing up their self some capacity to be able to do that. And I'm trying to tell them because they all come from the same school of like work, 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 work. We can get, we can be more productive. I mean, no, like here, work 75% and then take the other 25%, go have fun and go study stuff that'll help you build your career. Be a better person. Yeah. Yeah. What, so you're obviously familiar with the EOS life. Listen, I am, I am, I hashtag EOS life. Like I life. love that. That's my favorite book. But I would have yeah. never got to that book had I not read Rocket Fuel. But if I had to give anybody a book, read that book because that's what the end looks like. If you just want to get to the last chapter, <laughs> start there. <laughs> start there, and then work yourself backwards. And you need to get excited because I'm living my EOS life, and now it's my goal to help get my integrator to live his EOS life, my marketing manager, my sales. Like I want everybody to live whatever their version of their EOS life is. You know, making more money, hanging out with people that they love, having time for other things, just having a good time. You know, like just life is so good. We Run on EOS is available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us so you don't miss an episode. You can learn more about all things EOS at eosworldwide.com. I'm your host, Pam Kosanke, and thanks for listening. The entrepreneurs behind the entrepreneurs, EOS implementers help business owners get everything they want from their businesses. Request a free 90-minute meeting with an EOS implementer to learn how they can help you on your journey towards EOS mastery and living your ideal life, your EOS life. Visit eosworldwide.com to get started.